This is a live webinar. If you're here today, it's to learn a little bit about Medicare secondary payer in New Jersey. And generally speaking, we're talking about uh, uh, workers' compensation claims that we're trying to resolve by way of Section 20. Uh, sitting to my left, your right, is my partner, Joe Jones. Say hi, Joe. Hey, everybody. And to his left, your right, Michael Tomasino, our associate in our New Jersey workers' compensation practice. Uh, today, we're going to try to answer the basic questions we think you're getting from your locations, your insureds, and those questions are things like, can I settle this case? Why can't I settle this case? Uh, why can't I do a Section 20? What is this Medicare thing that's interfering with our ability to settle this case? Okay, so we're going to try to talk about all those questions that we know you're getting. This is part of our overall webinar series. Uh, today is the fourth Monday of the month, so we're talking about New Jersey. Please know that we also do a New, Jer a New York workers' compensation webinar series, which is always the third Monday of the month. Um, this is also our first time that our webinar is going out live on our Twitter feed. So if you have Periscope or if you're following the firm on Twitter, you can also watch us. And there's a behind-the-scenes type cam way back there that's also showing us there. This is part of our overall um, outreach that our firm does. Uh, obviously, we do our handbooks. And if you haven't received a copy of your 2016 uh, handbook, please reach out to us. and We'll send them out to you right now. For my clients, they have gone out in the mail. You should be getting them in the next week or so. Uh, this is our full guidebook to New Jersey. It's written in plain English, our handbook. We also have a website, lois-llc.com, over 900 articles on workers' comp. We have a newsletter that you can subscribe to through the webinar. I'm sorry, through the website. And, of course, we do these monthly webinars. Um, if you miss a webinar and these do build on, on each other, there is a curriculum. We are going through the book basically chapter by chapter. We're now in chapter 15 of the book. Um, if you've missed one, that's cool. You can go into our webinar archives. Please also note that the curriculum restarts every April. So uh, we will be beginning again with Did It Arise Out of in the Course of Employment, which is like really chapter one of both New Jersey and New York, beginning then. Okay. As you could tell from a couple of our little kerfuffles in the beginning there, this is an absolutely live webinar. We are doing this live. Uh, we can see your questions pop up on our screen here. I've got a laptop right in front of me that I'm looking at and controlling. And we're going to uh, wait, hold questions until the end. You can ask them while we go through the webinar. So if Mike says anything and you go, well, that, that brings up a great question for me, or Joe um, talking about anything that you have a question about, <clears throat> Ask us the question. Uh, we will get to every question. Our goal is to try to make this as interactive as possible. Um, I can see the questions popping up, so feel free to ask them, and we'll try to get to them right at the end. Our entire presentation today should take about 15 minutes. We've run through it a few times. We think that's about how long it'll go, and then there'll be plenty of time at the end for your questions. Okay. With that, I'm going to turn it over to Jim. Thank you, Greg. Appreciate it. Uh, welcome, everybody. Good afternoon. Welcome back from Snowpocalypse 2016. Uh, hopefully, you're ready to learn a little bit about Medicare today. Uh, so Medicare, and, and Greg had already mentioned, we're going to talk about Section 20 settlements. Uh, obviously, if you, section, if you settle a case by order approving settlement, this isn't something that's going to apply uh, because the workers' compensation carrier will still be on the hook for future benefits. So Medicare is not at play there. But with a Section 20 settlement, it obviously is something we need to consider. We're going to give you just sort of a, a sort of background here, a little bit of an overview of what you need to know, and we hope or hope to answer for you a few questions. We're going to give you background, what the law says, what do you need to consider, can I settle this case, and if so, how. Uh, we're, we're also going to give a little bit of a distinction between some definitions here, 
in particular, what's a Medicare lien versus what is a Medicare allocation. Right. I think a lot of people think that those sometimes are the same thing, right. but as Greg will tell us in a little bit, they're not. They're two different things, and you need to know the distinction. And it's not just our clients. I mean, sometimes our adversaries, claimants, attorneys, right. they'll say, Greg, what about the lien? And really, we're talking about an allocation. And right. It's just frustrating. Yeah. So it are terms, it, there are terms that are sometimes interchangeable, but they shouldn't be. They, they do mean two different things. Uh, I'm going to give you sort of a overall of the different areas that we're going to discuss here. Uh, we're going to have basics, the difference between the lien and the allocation, and Greg's going to speak to that point in a, in a minute it's or so. simple, and I can figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> right. off, that's that's why I picked you for it, Greg. Thank you. <laughs> um, we're going to have Michael talk about why do we care about this, Medicare and, and the law itself. I'm then going to pick up the topics of the red flags that we need to look for when we're trying to settle a case, and also uh, Medicare's response. How do we know that they're either on board with this or they've been notified or, or that they know about it at all? Okay, so first let's talk about lien versus allocation. Greg, if you sure, you, and, start you know this is one of those frustrations that I think you know we all sort of uh, are, are learning Medicare, and some of our adversaries are you know experts on it, and some of them have no idea what they're doing, what they're talking about. There's nothing more frustrating, I think, for our clients than when they have a Section 20 settlement and they go, "Great, let's put this thing through, let's get rid of it." And I go, "Yeah, but now I got to work with my adversary, and we got to get this either lien or do an allocation." What do those words mean? Well, let's talk about that and. I'm just going to spend about a minute talking about a little bit of the history of Medicare and why we have to consider what a lien versus an allocation is. Social Security was uh, passed into law in 1933. Medicare Act came a lot later, came in 1965. And the idea of Medicare was really to protect people uh, from the fact that at the end of their lives, they were experiencing these debilitating illnesses that was wiping out all their family funds. Uh, this, and it was really intended to directly address people who had very significant life-threatening conditions like cancer uh, with a very short-term prognosis of death uh, and things like kidney failure and stage renal disease. And in fact, uh, the original rules for how you could be eligible for Medicare was you have to be, um, you have to pay into it, first of all. Second of all, you had to be a citizen. Uh, third of all, you had to have some kind of condition that was they presumed was going to kill you very shortly uh, and be 65 years old. And when I say a condition they thought was going to kill you, well, they thought everybody who was going to get Medicare was going to die shortly because in 1965, when the Medicare Act was passed, the average life expectancy was 67. So really, this was intended to be end-of-life care for people. Well, very quickly, Medicare began to consume just as much of, of the federal budget as did Social Security, and they quickly began to realize this thing is going to make us go broke. Um, 1980, they passed the Medicare as Secondary Payer Act, 42 U.S.C. 1395 Y. Um, this act basically said, hey, guys, let's do a coordination of benefits here, just like we do with other types of, of uh, insurances. And under this coordination of benefits idea, workers' comp would be primary to Medicare. And what does that mean? It just means if there is a condition that workers' comp, it's a workers' comp injury that arose out of in the course of employment, you got a workers' comp award for it, well, future medical should be charged to workers' comp, or ongoing medical should be charged to workers' comp. It should not be charged to Medicare. And this is really uh, Medicare just trying to save itself. It was going bankrupt in 1980, and this was their idea of how we're going to save this thing. Well, we're going to make sure we're not paying for things that we shouldn't be paying for. And this coordination of benefits, we see it in other different kinds of insurances as well. For example, in New Jersey, the coordination between PIP or motor vehicle benefits and workers' comp 
workers' comp's always primary. We just all sort of understand that. But i got to be frank with you. Uh, for the first 15 or 20 years of Medicare as a secondary payer, it was basically ignored. In fact, I always tell these jokes. They're not jokes, but they're real stories. When I first began practicing, and we would put through Section 20s on the record, and the Section 20 would be for $50,000, and the petitioner would say to the judge, uh, would say, oh, this is great. I'm ready here to accept voluntarily accept this uh, Section 20 lump sum dismissal. Uh, but judge, what if I need more medical care for my condition in the future? And this is, you know, deadpan. The judges would say, well, just charge it through to Medicare. Don't, what, do you, what do you care? You know, right. um, you know, that was kind of the stat, the, the, the response, even though Medicare as a secondary payer, this law was already on the book saying, hey, guys, uh, you know, really. Not, not the same as response as today, though, right? Well, I mean, absolutely. Yeah, uh, so what happens in, in 2001 is there's a Patel memo and all of a sudden Medicare starts saying, hey, guys, we're looking into this. We're going to try to you know, uh, get our money back. Um, in the beginning, it was very confusing about when do we have to worry about Medicare's interest, who's entitled, who's not entitled, all of those types of issues. Um, let's make this very simple. Um, look, Medicare, we only really have to worry about their interest when there's a Section 20 settlement, okay? And that's really what we're going to focus on today. Yeah, there are, could be cases where we're going to do a different type of settlement, like an order approving settlement, or even a judgment. And there's a lien that we have to repay. And let's talk about what that means. But generally speaking, what we're worried about is Medicare's um, interest when we're doing a lump sum dismissal. Future medicals are absolutely closed. Um, let's talk about that. First of all, Medicare should not be the primary payer where there is a workers' comp injury. Somebody slips, falls, fractures their elbow, anything related to that elbow treatment should be paid for by the comp carrier. That's the basics of the Medicare Secondary Payer Act. But what if they've already paid? And this happens all the time, right? Our dumb claimant, our dumb petitioner goes to the doctor and they do what they do they out of habit, right? The doctor says, how are you going to pay for today's visit? What do they do? They don't think to themselves, oh, I should charge this to workers' comp. They pull out the Medicare card. They, they reach in their pocket, right? They're used to it. They're dumb dumbs yeah. and they do that. Um, and what ends up developing is Medicare is going to compare those CPT codes those and those ICD-10 codes to whatever the person's workers' comp uh, injury is, and they'll start saying, wait a second, uh, these Medicare codes, these amounts paid really relate to what should have been paid for by the workers' carrier. And what they will do is generate a lien. We have to request it. It takes a few days for them to respond, but they will send back their lien. And this is them saying, here's what I've paid on your behalf, and I should not have paid it, and I want to be paid back. That's the lien. It should be very clear. It should be very obvious to us when we go to settle a case what the number is. Uh, nothing more frustrating than our adversary saying, yeah, I'm waiting on the lien, right? I mean, yeah, that's totally, something that comes up common. I you mean, hear totally I, I have to wait months before they give me the lien information. Not. Uh, there's no hotline, phone number, and we should be getting this lien no more than two weeks from when we request it. The challenge sometimes for claimant's attorneys is that it has to be requested by the claimant unless they already filed the, the, uh, uh, the authorization for their attorney to do it. So sometimes they'll say, like, oh, my God, I didn't get the lien. Well, you should be doing this. Have them sign the authorization. You get this lien. Anyway, this is relatively easy to understand. The lien comes in. It looks like this is kind of a bad scan that I put into this slide today, but um, it looks like a spreadsheet. I mean, we've seen these things. We see them all the time, and we go through there, and we check what's on the spreadsheet against what we've paid or what the body part is. Generally speaking, uh, sometimes they need fighting, but generally speaking, they're pretty spot on because, again, they're just going by CPT codes or ICD-10 codes. Um, and generally speaking, the lien is the lien is the lien, and we reimburse it out of the Section 20 or the lump sum settlement dismissal. It's a little bit more difficult, and this is really what I think we're going to spend a lot of time talking about today, is set aside, right? Because not only do we have a duty to make sure that Medicare gets paid back for what they've already paid, 
but we actually have a duty to make sure that they don't pay for in the future something that we should have paid for through the workers' compensation uh, plan or policy. And what that means is we've got to allocate some money, and it could be money allocated away from the claimant settlement funds or additional funds that we pay on top of the settlement, and we set aside this money, we allocate it for a set-aside to cover the future interest that Medicare might have, the future exposure they might have, okay? So that's the difference between a lien, which is what they've already received, and allocation or set-aside, which is what's going to uh, possibly accrue in the future, okay? We're not going to talk today about the mechanics of how an allocation would be set. We can talk about that in the questions, but generally speaking, that's the difference between the two uh, pots. And before I turn this over back to Joe and to Mike, I just want to remind everyone this is absolutely live. Please feel free to ask us your questions. Uh, we can see them begin to pop up. So please uh, ask them and we'll try to get to them at the end. Okay. And with that, Joe. Actually, you have, we're going to have Michael. We're going to have Michael do the. Thank you, Greg. I appreciate that. So the first question is, I guess, why do we care? Well, there are three primary reasons why we care. The first is compliance. It's actually what the law requires. The second, of course, is penalties. And then the third, which is brought about by penalties, exposure. In this area of law, an area that our firm practices in quite extensively, there's, there's uh, pretty severe penalties, one of which is double damages. I'll give you a brief example as to how double damages would work. Let's say a petitioner receives a $50,000 Section 20 workers' compensation settlement. After the settlement, he then goes and seeks $25,000 of medical treatment. As Greg was talking about previously, right, he reaches into his pocket and out of habit pulls out his Medicare card. In that scenario, Medicare is entitled to, uh, to be reimbursed by the workers' compensation award that petitioner had, had received. However, because petitioner received $25,000 in medical treatment, work, uh, workers' compensation may be on the hook for, say, $50,000 or double the damages of petitioner's treatment overall. Pretty significant exposure. Right, right. And Quite it's important bit. to consider, too, it's not double the award, it's double whatever they paid, which they shouldn't have paid. Right. Thank you. And uh, in addition to that, there are other forms of exposure. Some would be, say, med the Medicare beneficiary receiving a termination notice or also Social Security set-offs until uh, the claim has been satisfied. Now that we've talked about some of the potential exposures that you could face, I'd like to throw it to Joe as to how to flag those exposures. Thank you, Michael. All right, let's talk about the red flags. Uh, the first one is, is the claimant, the petitioner, already entitled to benefits, um, as Medic Medicare benefits? And there's a couple of sources of information we can rely on. Some of them are not very reliable, and that would be the petitioner's attorneys. They're usually the least re reliable in this category. Uh, some of them fail to ask their clients. Some of them fail to even understand the issue. Uh, even though recently the uh, claim petitions have been amended to have an actual box to check off mm -hmm. for Medicare eligible, mm -hmm. some of the claimant's attorneys don't even realize they have to check those boxes off. Right. We, we really can't trust them. We, we can't trust them to give us the information. So one of the things that the insurance carriers can do uh, is run a Social Security check to, you know, against the Medicare records to determine does that person, based on their Social Security number, uh, have a Medicare number. And that will confirm to you right away, you know, obviously, uh, if they are already entitled to benefits. Uh, obviously, an indicator if they were receiving benefits or there was a lien issue in a prior case or something like that, that might be another red flag to sort of indicate there is something going on here. Sure. Um, another way to look at this, uh, if we don't know if they're automatically entitled, is there a reasonable expectation that they could be entitled? And this is usually uh, dealt with significant cases over $250,000 or more. And this reasonable expectation 
uh, entitlement. And basically, it's a series of questions you can ask to see if, if the pattern fits. And if it does, they will, there will be a reasonable expectation uh, that, in fact, this person is entitled to Medicare. Uh, did they file an appeal uh, to a Social Security disability income denial of some kind? Did they already apply for Social Security disability income? Are they currently appealing that denial? Uh, is the person 62 and a half years old, which means 24 months from then they're going to be eligible for um, Medicare? And finally, do they have one of these terminal type diseases like the, uh, the end-stage renal disease and stuff like that that you spoke about prior? So all of these are major indicators. If they can be answered in the positive, then yes, this person is you can reasonably expect this person to then be entitled to Medicare. Right. And I got to be frank, I mean, I've been at this a long time. It's really rare in New Jersey, first of all, to have a Section 20 settlement high enough in oh, the right. threshold yeah. to reach yeah. that number. And we, we talked about this in our preparations. You know, and as long as I've been doing this, I've seen so few settlements where the the Section 20 went over 250000 right. which right. would then trigger this question, hey, is there a reasonable expectation? Right. And the other interesting thing is, you know, sort of spitballing this was that, you know, the time when you do see a settlement where it's maybe over 250000 and it's a Section 20, it's usually a death case or dependency right, claim right. where we're not really worried about future exposure. The person's dead, right? They're not coming right. back from right. life. There's no future yeah. exposure. <laughs> so, you know, this is a relatively rare circumstance. In New Jersey, it doesn't seem like the Section 20s really get that high. Right. Um, you know, and also if you had an admitted accident with a surviving injured worker, would a judge ever approve a Section 20? Right, no, probably not. Extraordinarily <laughs> rare. So, you know, this reasonable expectation sort of branch or threshold for consideration, just just so rare. I mean, yeah. I think I may have done one or two sort of expectation considerations. Yeah, it's a good point, Greg. It's most of, most of your Section 20 settlements are much smaller, 10 grand, 15, 25,000 even, and, and this type of threshold of $250,000 is not even, not even coming into play. So good okay. point. Um, finally, we look at Medicare's response to all this. How do we know that Medicare is actually paying attention and actually uh, giving us permission to go forward? Uh, well, you know, the lean reimbursement, they're going to send us a letter that says this is how much we're owed. And they're going to they're going to wait to get that check or they're going to wait to get, you know, acknowledgement that the case was settled or not uh, so that they know that they can expect that check. Um, now, Medicare in a Section 20 settlement, the Medicare will actually review the settlement for you. But there's a threshold of $25,000 with regard to that review. So if your Section 20 settlement is $25,000 or more, you can submit it to Medicare. They will perform a review of that and let you know if they approve of the, the, the settlement that you have. Um, under $25,000, though, they do not even look at those. They don't even look at it. They don't want to be bothered. Right. So that's, it's something, you know, it's still something we have to consider in terms of going forward, but it's not something they're even going to take a look at. Uh, finally, they expect compliance, which means there's really no policing agency out there to watch over us, to make sure we're doing these things. They just expect everybody involved to pay attention to this process and sort of get involved and make sure that Medicare's interests are protected. Right. I mean, there's no detective sitting in a detective agency somewhere. No. What they're doing is Social Security number matching versus uh, the carrier side reporting. So right. they are absolutely matching Social Security numbers, CPT codes, and then the carrier reporting all together to sort of figure out where in that Venn diagram there's overlap. Right. Those are the people they're going to go after and start asserting their right to reimbursement right. lead or allocation. I, I can tell you actually from experience too, the, the one person who is looking for this is the judge. Right. In every Absolutely. single settlement, the judge will at some point ask the question to the petitioner, are you uh, Medicare eligible? 
Right. And I've had settlements where the petitioner's attorney was – everybody was unaware of this. And then the petitioner says, uh, yes, I am. And there you go. Settlement's done. <laughs> you, 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 can't put, you can't put it through. And you got to kind of go and start this whole process to get the approval. So, right. It's super yeah. frustrating. It's super frustrating to – you know, be working with our adversary all the way up to settlement and all of a sudden. Right. Never being made aware of this. Right. There's no Medicare. You ask them outright sometimes. You well, don't you're get a it. judge. I think sometimes people see the judge's robe and they get an attack <laughs> of the truth, right? I mean, it's yes. intimidating. And you, you hope so. You know, that's stand, where you right? should that's, be telling the truth. Okay. Uh, we're not done. I'm going to um, hit pause here on the um, presentation and we are going to go and check out and see if there's any questions. So let's come over here to questions, questions. Okay, I see a bunch of questions. Let's. Oh, uh, everybody's done shoveling, I guess. I guess, I guess everybody's back to work today. <laughs> All right, so uh, here's Lauren's question. I see four questions so far. And question number one, uh, gentlemen, how do you know how much to set aside for future medical when you're settling in a lump sum? Okay, great question. It's one we really skipped over in this presentation, and we kind of skipped over it on purpose. And the answer is because, generally speaking, we're advising you to use vendors to come up with those set-aside allocations. You know, we're experts at the law, not exactly experts, in my opinion, on medical pricing and repricing. Um, and New Jersey is also a tough state to do medical pricing because there is no fee schedule and there's no treatment guidelines or you know right. specific sort of guidelines that the doctors have to follow. Uh, New Jersey is a usual and customary state, um, so it's relatively challenging compared to other states like in new york where i practice you guys don't you guys are lucky <clears throat> lucky dudes you don't have to deal with new york where there is a medical treatment guideline and there's a very strict fee schedule for all those reasons generally speaking our clients are using vendors the vendors are employing nurses generally to come up with hey here's what this person's condition is and here's what we would expect their treatment uh, course to be going forward so that's how those allocations are set um, generally speaking the attorneys don't have a lot of impact on those allocations, the only time we do is when someone's on like a very expensive narcotic, and we and we will be asked, "Hey, Greg, um, can you talk to claimant's attorney about getting them weaned off that narcotic right, right. to reduce the overall allocation?" Uh, that's generally speaking when we deal with that. Um, okay, I got a question from Christine. Hey, hey Greg, uh, can you mail me a copy of your comp law book? Yes, I can do that. That's no problem. Um, they've started to go out already, so they should be starting up in people's mailboxes. If you're a client, we send these out uh, to everybody. Uh, Ray is saying, Greg, your voice is in and out. Uh-oh, that's not good. Um, might be your internet connection. Okay, and Michelle says, guys, can you talk about the difference between a conditional payment inquiry versus the actual final lien? Okay. And that's an interesting point because Medicare will not give you a final lien uh, automatically or right off the bat. Uh, there's a lot of reasons for this, but it's mainly because Medicare's billing practices are so crazy. The doctors have six months uh, to submit a bill to Medicare, and they will still pay it. Uh, now, I would love to submit bills to people six months after I do the work <laughs> and then hope that they pay me, okay? Uh, but that's how it works. So uh, often Medicare will give you a conditional lien. They'll say, as of the day you asked, this is the, the lien that we have. But you're totally right, Michelle. They can come back later and say, wait, wait, um, after that Section 20 was put through or just before, this person went out and did $10,000 with a medical treatment courtesy of their Medicare card. And so that is a challenge. They can then come back and say, okay, uh, let's here's the final lien. Um, the best practice is in a Medicare case is after you get that final Section 20 approval to send that to Medicare and say, what's your final lead now? Right. Okay. 
that looks like all the questions we have so far. Um, so with that being said, if you have any further questions, please feel free to reach out to us. Uh, Joe's email uh, is up on the screen right now. Mike's email is available to you. Uh, please tune in next month. Next month, we're going to be talking about appeals. Uh, Joe has been kind of messing around with me saying, like, appeals in New Jersey. <laughs> What's that in New Jersey? <laughs> and it's funny because appeals are rather rare in New Jersey. Um, generally speaking, only a couple important decisions a year come out of the appellate division. Um, but that doesn't mean that we don't appeal cases in New Jersey. And we're going to talk a little bit about post-trial practice. And we're also going to include in that the immediate motion for reconsideration that should be made after every single bad decision we get in New Jersey, asking the workers' comp law judge to stop what they're doing, reconsider the decision, uh, and, and, and how we use that to our advantage. Okay, uh, so that was our webinar for today. Thank you very, very much for joining us. Thanks, everybody. It was a pleasure Thank to you. be here. And that's it. See you next